who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, February 26th. Going to change things up a bit on today's show. Now, all week long, I've focused on the many events happening across the tennis world this week. That means the WTA event in Adelaide, the three ATP 250s, two ATP challengers, and countless ITF and college tennis matches happening across the globe. But There are some things that have happened off the court that I wanted to discuss, and I could think of no better person to do it with than the guest we have on today's show. He is the senior buyer and product manager for all things at Midwest Sports and friend of the program, Dave Lemke, who joins the show to discuss the rise in the number of Americans playing tennis during 2020, that number eclipsing 23 million last year. He and I discuss what that number means for tennis as a broader industry, how we can work to engage those people who are for the first time now exploring tennis or getting back to the sport and finding themselves really enjoying it. And so uh, we talk about that. We talk about the new gear available at midwestsports.com we talk about how the changes in technology is affect are, are affecting i should say the product we see on the court and then of course we talk about some of the fun we plan on having with our friends at midwest sports over the course of the year we have some really cool things planned that we get to at the end of the show you're all going to want to stick around to hear of course goes without saying but the reason these podcasts are made possible due to the fantastic support we get from you listeners the fantastic support we get from our patreon family And, of course, the help we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Midwest Sports' Dave Lemke. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, you may know him as the senior buyer, senior product manager, the big wig at Midwest Sports. I know him as my friend Dave Limke. Dave, welcome back to the show. How are you holding up? Hey, Alex. Uh, doing all right. Just uh, snow's melting and uh, feels like spring might be coming soon. So we're excited about that. But uh, yeah, all is well. Glad to be back. I am happy to hear that. And, you know, normally we try not to start with five minutes on the weather. But whenever I have a fellow Midwesterner, I have to <laughs> run my theories by them. How ridiculous is it? Four days ago, it's negative three degrees. If you walk outside, you will develop icicles on your hair if you just showered. And like now it's 45. I was sleeveless outside earlier today because it felt that good here in Michigan. I like I just 25 years in, I don't get it. Uh, Well, and I'm about twice your age, so (laughs) I don't either. It's just the way it is. It's up and down, up and down. We complain about it no matter what. And, uh, you know, you just find a way to get through it. But, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, it was up in the 50s here today. So it's uh, it's crazy. But then you've got big piles of snow that are trying to melt. So. Yeah, the reason I ask, do you try to sneak in an outdoor hit on a 55-degree day? Or are the courts um, just not I'll, quite there? I'll, I'll, hit a, I'll hit some balls outside. I mean, I, I've got a facility near me where I can hit against the wall. Um, you know, I, I'll take – couple hoppers hit a couple hoppers of serves just to stay loose but it's nice to be outside it's just nice to you know kind of breathe the fresh air and you know with all the you know protocols in place playing indoors um, I did not play as much indoors this winter as I have in in past years not because I didn't feel safe it was just honestly some of the clubs around here were kind of crowded so um, you know they had everybody spaced out and everything it was it was all good but it was just more of a, a little more of an effort to play indoors this winter so um, definitely excited to get back outside. I, if given the choice, I, I play outside every time. So, oh, um, see that hurts my soul. How can you say uh, that? As a Michigan man, I mean, I know you're. I believe you're an Ohio man through and through. It's yeah. nine months a year of indoor tennis. I do feel like. You know, personally, this is a random tangent. My tennis happens to translate better outdoors than indoors. And I think comparatively to Michigan people, that was always a good thing for me. But I mean, whenever we made that transition from outdoors back inside, I was like, oh, I'm never going to miss an overhead. I'm not missing an overhead for the next two months because it's just (laughs) so much easier. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it was just maybe growing up with, uh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have the option to play indoors. So I just kind of learned to, to soldier through playing outside and um, played baseball for a long time too. So I think I was just, you know, inclined to, to, to go outside if given the option. So um, just that's still kind of hardwired into me. And yeah, I like the variability of playing outside. I like playing on clay in the summer and just, you know, that's, uh, you know, just the way I'm wired, good, bad, or otherwise. So. <laughs> no, I, I love to hear it. I also, and this is such a random tangent, but I guess some of our listeners might be curious. Right before I had left Detroit for Indianapolis to start at Cracked Rackets, I'd finally established myself 
in a rec softball league that was going on in my area. And like I had, you know, I had multiple team offers. I described myself as the Omar Infante of the Jewish softball league. Anyone needed an infielder, they would have turned to me. And then I finally secured a roster spot and I haven't found one in Indy yet. So I suppose if anyone's listening in Indy and they've got a spot on their rec softball team at Great Shot Pod is where you find me. But you're absolutely right. There is a romantic to playing outdoor tennis that late fall 60 degree night uh uh, all right on that note uh, yeah that's a that's a perfect launch point for us because you talk about the crowds uh you know at some of these indoor clubs and you know we've got some business to get to on this podcast we'll get there down the road but the place i want to start because i always like to hear your perspective on these sorts of things wonder what you guys are seeing at midwest sports the usta uh released a report on i think it was february 11th u.s tennis participation surges in 2020 physical Activity Council uh, report finds some of the numbers. Tennis participation in the U.S. increased by 22% in 2020, with 21.64 million people hitting the courts, according to recent data from the Physical Activity Council's participation report. Uh, They said of the 21 million, 6.78 million were either new or returning lapsed players. Nearly 3 million of those were first times players, a 44% increase over new players in 2019. Last juicy, juicy stat. For everyone. Additionally, the 3.82 million Americans who returned to the sport after time away was a 40% increase over the same measure in 2019. Uh, you know, anecdotally, we, I think everyone has shared a story. Certainly, I imagine people who have listened to these podcasts have stories of trying to go to their local park this summer, this fall, whenever it may be, and surprisingly finding that local park filled. Like It, it was a trend in California, in Michigan, in Indianapolis. Yeah, so many anecdotes stories. We now have numbers to reflect those anecdotes. But I'm curious if you're seeing it on your side as well, because you know certainly if you're a first-time player or you're starting to play more frequently, you're going to break strings. You're going to need new, you know, higher quantities of tennis balls. You're going to maybe even look up a new racket model for yourself if you have taken two, three years, or maybe ten years off, and you're like, wait, Roger Federer used to use the N code, then he switched to the K factor. Now he's on something else, and I'm way behind. Uh, then so, be Yeah, exactly. So I'm a couple of letters behind. I guess my question is, have you guys seen that on your end? Do you think these numbers as, you know, not doubting the Physical Activity Council's participation report, but do you think there's accuracy in those numbers? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, um, you know, over the years, it wasn't always as clear, um, you know, when participation numbers would come out from the USTA, you know, that those numbers were truly reflective or it was difficult for us to tell that from a retail standpoint. I think in 2020, it was very clear that uh, there's, there's some truth with those numbers. Um, You know, tennis ball sales, you know, court equipment sales, things that are kind of directly correlated to, to people playing more and getting out more broadly. I I definitely think that's a trend that we saw, you know, pretty strongly um, for a good part of the year. Um, you know, yes, restringing more rackets, um, you know, selling selling some pockets of uh, types of rackets that maybe before weren't the strongest sellers. And by that, I mean, set, like the pre-strong racket market, um, you know. The Prince the- Hammer, respectfully to Prince. We all know that racket that sits on the shelf at CVS and Walmart. Wilson, Wilson Hammer. Oh, Wilson Hammer. Excuse me. Yeah, Excuse- yeah. yeah. Things like that. Yeah, it's just more like kind of game improvement, you know, larger heads, big sweet spots. But yeah, pre-strong 
we call them department store, big box rackets. But yeah. you know, those are things we, we dabble in. Um, but that those were definitely areas where we saw um, quite a bit of growth in, in 2020, um, which is which is which is extremely positive. I mean, I'm I'm sad that it took a, a pandemic to to create that groundswell, but I mean, if there is a silver lining in it, I think it, it does seem that a lot more people were looking for maybe new new ways to get active again or get back back to something that maybe they had done before and enjoyed. Let's be honest, tennis is a sport you can play until you're a, an old person. So um, not a lot of sports can you say that about. So, um, you know, I think tennis was one of those that, that fell into some, uh, maybe some, some, again, some silver lining from, from the pandemic. I think golf and running probably saw some similar uh, growth. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think those numbers are uh, definitely being reflected in the, the increase in business we've seen in, uh, in a lot of categories, not, not everywhere, but um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's positive to see. And I think our challenge for 2021 and beyond is to, uh, you know, find ways to engage these, these new players, these returning players to, to keep them in the game, because hopefully, you know, things are going to return to normal here sooner than later, you know, vaccines being broadly distributed and, you know, people are going to feel more comfortable getting back to their, their, their normal lives. And, but maybe they've discovered some new things that they'd like to, to continue. So we're definitely uh, tasking ourselves pretty heavily with, um, you know, being able to reach out to people and remarket and, and engage them in ways that, that, that keep them coming back and keep them, uh, keep them involved with tennis for a long time. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why we are so excited to have some pretty cool things underway uh, in our Crack Rackets Midwest Sports Partnership moving forward to engage everyone who's not just following tennis but playing tennis on their own and, you know, giveaways from you guys to make it easier for those players who are still working their way back. And, you know, with first-time players come first-time mistakes. You're going to be using dead strings for, I would say, the first six months until you finally pop them accidentally and you're like, oh, it's time for me to get a racket restrung, and from there, obviously, you turn to our friends at Midwest Sports who can guide you on all things racket, all things uh, equipment-based, and yeah, I, it's, it's such an interesting question. How do you channel the increased participation? How do you engage with these players? Because... It, it you're right it, it's absolutely on the rise and again I can only speak from experience it's also tough for me because I'm a magnet for tennis everyone in my life knows if they're doing something tennis related I'm gonna get a text from them but the amount of oh like Alex let's go hit I think I can beat you now and I just laugh and I'm like sure let's go hit let's do that right now how much money do you want to bet <laughs> yeah let's bet that amount um but no it's it's it is the question because Moving forward, uh, obviously, for so many of these players, they're going to be interested in, you know, the, as they get better or they're going to want to learn how to get better. Uh, that will lead to them following the sports. That will lead to them looking things up on YouTube and just trying to engage with the sport. And uh, it, it is a fascinating question. I, I can't remember a similar time. It's just because the science, like, never in the history of tennis has it been the sport that scientists are like, you want to play tennis right now because it's the safest option for you. Right. And, and it's like, that happened in 2020. And it's on the powers that be, the USTA and associations around the world, right, to channel that. But it yeah. is, I, I can't remember anything like it. Can you? No, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I wasn't around for the Spanish flu in uh, <laughs> But I can't think of any other time. I mean, I, I, I did grow up. I mean, I was a kid in the 70s and, and 80s. You know, I do, you know, remember that a little bit where it was a, 
you know, kind of the lifestyle of tennis. I mean, it was a, you know, kind of the heyday, you know, you had Borg, McEnroe, you know, Vilas, um, Vitas Gerolitis. I mean, players were like that lifestyle, uh, Chris Everett. I mean, that was like a cool thing to do. A lot of that translated over to the look and the fashion of the time. And, you know, even when that kind of waned a little bit, then you had the next generation. You had, you know, Lendl and Becker and then Agassi and Sampras and Courier and Chang. And, you know, there's been this kind of always kind of ongoing uh, level of interest that was, that was always out there, but I can't remember anything ever being um, as kind of quickly condensed, really driving people to the game like what we saw in 2020. And again, it just, it's, it's unfortunate that it's, that it was being driven by, by what it was, but um, I, I've certainly never seen anything like it where um, it was being kind of pitched as the safe option. This one of the safe sports that you can go play. It's just, it's really wild. Yeah. Now, I mean, as the son of Jewish parents, I kind of realized pretty quickly why I was playing tennis because it was the safe option. I was like, what about <laughs> football? They were like, huh. <laughs> They're like, seriously? And I was like, no, I'm not being serious. I just wanted to make sure. Um, but, yeah, it, it is – it's fascinating, and it's always the question. How do you engage all the people around the world who are playing tennis to follow the sport, to be active within the sport? But uh, certainly it does feel like we have a larger pool of people at least paying some sort of attention to tennis than ever before. And hopefully those people will want to update their equipment. And even if you are a lifelong tennis player, there is never a bad moment to treat yourself to the latest gear. Of course, all of that latest gear being offered with the best prices with our friends at Midwest Sports. We want to talk about some of those today. And I feel like it's always pertinent after Grand Slam to talk about the newest racket models available because certainly so often that's when players reveal their newest models, particularly in Australia. First uh, slam of the year, brand new marketing campaigns for all of the big racket companies, all of the big apparel companies. Let's start on the racket side and let's start with the Babolats because no, you know, I, I'm trying to think. The final this year was Djokovic versus Medvedev. I, I'm going back in my head, which was the last Grand Slam final to not feature a Babolat racket because French Open obviously did, Australian Open, uh, excuse me, U.S. Open did with Dominic Team. I'm going back to last year's Australia. Dominic Team was also in that. U.S. Open, uh, I think Djokovic won that. So that might have been the last one was the 2019 U.S. Open, but... Obviously, it's never a bad time to be a Babolat user, and I believe there are new Babolat Pure Drive family of rackets now available. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about them? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, the Pure Drive was, uh, you know, the the racket franchise that kind of turned the the racket world on its ear in the in the '90s, late '90s. Uh, Carlos Moya winning the French Open, I think it was in '98. Um, playing with a Babolat Pure Drive and uh, you know, a guy named Andy Roddick, you know, playing with it as well and, and had some great success with it early on. So um, they kind of helped uh, popularize a, a racket design they consider, they call it a tweener. So it's uh, <laughs> between midsize and oversize, between being heavy and light, between being powerful and controlled. And it's just a nice... It's versatile, and that's what's so great about it. And I think that's why it's been so successful for almost 25 years now, this franchise. And, um, you know, it's just there's there's kind of something for everybody in the line. I mean, the one that's the most popular is the uh, 100 square inch, weighs a little over 11 ounces strong, 16 by 19 string pattern. 
I mean, every brand's kind of got their iteration of that. Um, you know, moderately wide beam, not too thin, not too, not too thick. So it just gives you a good kind of well-rounded design that works for so many different player types. And then if you want an oversized version, there's Pure Drive 107, Pure Drive 110. I mean, they even have larger headed versions. There's lighter versions. So the gamut of uh, the Pure Drive family is now fully available. Uh, they did an early release last fall of the 100. Now they've rounded out the line with uh, all of the models. And the beauty of it is that they really didn't try to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, it's such a great design. Um, they kind of just, they evolved it. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, they didn't just spray paint it a new color and, and try to sell you, you know, a new version of it. No, I mean, there's some, there are, there's some nice updates they've made to it. Um, they've added a little more of the, uh, the dampening material. They call it SWX Pure Feel. So it's basically viscoelastic polymer that they infuse into the layup of the racket when they're making it. So you can't see it, but it's in the frame. It's really there and it really does work. It just acts as a vibration filter. Uh, I hesitate to call it a dampener because a dampener makes you think, oh, it feels like rubber, no feel, kind of numb. Not at all. They do a really good job, I think, of really engineering those layups properly, getting the right amount of feedback still coming through, but then dampening out some of the harshness. So, again, they just kind of evolved that. Um, they also use a uh, slightly different... I don't even want to say it's a cross-section, but they call it high torsional rigidity, HTR, and it basically just makes the frame a little more stable on off-center hits. Again, it's something you're not necessarily going to see so much, but when you hit with it, it just feels a little more stable than the previous gen. Um, that's always a nice thing, a little more stability. Um, when you hit it off-center, like I, that's pretty much all I know how to do. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty helpful in that regard. Um, optimized string spacing. So the string pattern has stayed the same from the previous generation, but they just always are looking for ways to optimize the spacing of the string pattern. So that helps on off-center hits as well. Um, but again, just little tweaks here and there across the family um, that I think really just make the racket an improvement over the previous gen. And uh, But again, they're not trying to broke what, or not trying to fix what wasn't broke in the first place. So it's just a nice... Uh, Nice evolution, and it does look cool, so an added bonus. Mm -hmm. Now, for the record, infused polymer, the over-under was the 14-and-a-half-minute mark that it would get dropped <laughs> on this pod, and you hit the over, just barely. So congrats Great. to all the over-betters on that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, so a basic question here, and I think I know the answer, but, again, these are the, the questions you can ask when we have you on when you talk about an oversized version of a racket versus an original, is it safe to, well, I don't want to make any assumptions. So why, you know, if you are trying to get the, the racket in its purest form, you're trying to play the racket as it was created to be played. Does the over getting an oversized version of a racket compromise that? And I, I mean, I think the answer to that is obviously yes. So my question would be, you know, in what ways does it compromise it? And if you're someone who's looking for a bigger frame, is it just better to look for a larger size frame racket in its original form than to get an oversized of something else? Well, but here's what I would say to that. Um, one, I don't think it necessarily compromises what you would expect from the family. Um, okay. And, and I think, and the reason for that is because there's definitely a trend uh, in the marketplace with there not being as many oversized options. Uh, you know, back in the day, I mean, you could get rackets that were 110, 115, mm -hmm. 118, 
uh, pretty consistently from, from most of the brands. And it's a little tougher to find that now. Now, there's still some out there, but most of the time they are uh, kind of extensions of the main franchises in, in the racket brand. Um, this is a perfect example of that. They take these uh, 100 square inch kind of backbone of the racket families and then take a lot of the design principles that are incorporated in those and just blow them up a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, so the, the beam design's the same, but it's a little bit thicker. So if you look at the cross section sideways, it's a little bit thicker. Mm -hmm. uh, it's seven to 10 square inches bigger. Again, we're talking square inches. So you lay the rackets on top of each other. You can barely tell the difference between a 100 and a 110. Mm -hmm. um, and then they might make it a little bit lighter, a little more head heavy. Um, but again, it's just taking that recipe that's worked so well for them and then just expanding it slightly to give you a little bigger sweet spot. Um, you know, maybe a little more forgiveness, a little bit lighter weight, a little bit easier to swing. So, um, but I think most of the brands have done a pretty good job of just making extensions of their existing, you know, product families and maybe just making an oversized version, a larger headed version, because the days of there being kind of standalone oversized uh, groups of rackets from each brand, those days are gone. Um, what you get now is basically an oversized version of the pure drive, the oversized version of like the Wilson clash. So, you know, every brand treats it a little differently, but they are generally extensions of existing silos. So, okay. No. So it sounds like they're all just blown up to scale. It's just the one. Yeah. Or, yeah. No, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense, I guess, because to your point, as you mentioned, and I very much agree with uh, this, it's, you don't see big head sized rackets anymore. Right. I feel like that is the, the trend away, or at least technology is yeah. trending away from that. Yeah. And I mean, I think some of it too might've been, uh, just dwindling sales uh, sure. in that market. I mean, that tends to be maybe a, an older con consumer that, you know, maybe there's just not as many people playing that they're aging out. Maybe they were jumping over to play pickleball more than tennis. And mm -hmm. so just maybe some of that demographic was shifting a little bit too. So um, I also think though, too, I mean, the sweet spot on the Babylon Pure Drive that's, you know, a hundred square inches is healthy many times larger than the sweet spot I would have enjoyed playing up with, uh, playing growing up with, you know, Agassiz's old Don A Pro 1 or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the Prince Graphite or whatever it may have been. Just the, the racket designs are so much, so much better now, I think. Uh, the sweet spots are so much more generous that you don't actually have to make the physical head size of the frame so big to make it easy to uh, so no you for the record you're breaking my heart with the prince graphite slander you know that's still my baby um, yeah no, we got we can't talk about prince though so yeah it's um, true it's i used true, to play true. with him too so yeah okay. no yeah we, we that which shall not be named i agree <laughs> um but no i i think that's completely fair i mean yeah there's no denying the racket technology has gotten better and I guess I'll use this as a bridge to a segue. Uh, one more topic I wanted to talk about because certainly, and there was so much tennis over these past three weeks, college, professional, junior, you name it, it's all going on right now. And if you watch enough of it closely, you will see the trend across every level, which is that these players, men, women, it doesn't matter, are hitting the ball harder 
than they were even five years ago, certainly 10, 15 years ago. And of course, you know, that is in any sport you hope for evolution. You hope the players will continue to get better. People can make the argument that 90s basketball is different than 2010 basketball, but a 2010 NBA player is more skilled than a 1990s basketball player is because that's just how life evolves, or at least in good ways. When life evolves, that's usually how it evolves. All of that being said, and I say this about the ear test all the time, if you listen to Felix Oshir Aliasim or Andre Rublev or Arena Sabalenka or Elena Rabakina hit ground strokes, it sounds like a jet is taking off. Like, it just sounds differently than anyone else who's doing it out there. And maybe Del Potro would hit that speed from time to time before. And, you know, obviously Stan Wawrinka, the best of the best, mm-hmm. can do oh, it. Yeah. But when you... I just I think it's every forehand now. When Andre Rublev connects with a forehand or Felix Ogier Aliasim connects with a forehand, it's scary how hard they can hit the ball. And I just, you know, my question I wanted to ask is how much is that a pro- and the answer is obviously both, but how much of it is a product of the newly developed strings and racket frames available to these players? I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. again, going back to the the 90s example with uh Carlos Moya, you know, mm-hmm. when he won the French Open, I think he was also the first player to win a Grand Slam tournament using polyester string. Uh, I may be wrong about the polyester string, but it was Luxalon string. And um, I think that's where it's where, where some of that started, uh, the ability to build these kind of bigger, more powerful rackets with the wider, thicker beams that were stiffer. But then you were able to string them with a, a material that actually allowed you to control that additional power. Um you know, it used to be back in the day. I mean, I, I grew up with this. Uh, you know, if you wanted a stiffer string or if you were breaking a lot of strings and you needed more uh, more durability, you know, your your main option was to go the uh, the hybrid route, which at the time was, was Kevlar. <laughs> so you put Kevlar in the main strings and you'd have synthetic gut in the crosses. And that would give you more durability, you know, a little stiffer string bed feel. Uh, I know Agassi used that for a long time, probably some other players too, but, um, you know, that was basically what you could do at the time, but it was, it was extremely unforgiving. Um, now that they've been able to develop some of these polyesters and co-polys that, you know, have incredible durability, they give you that string bed stiffness, but then they allow you to kind of take a full swing at the ball and just generate top spin like you've never been able to generate before. So, that's how these players are able to take these just huge cuts at the ball and it, and it stays in the court. I mean, that's, that's the thing with tennis is all this power is great, but not if you can't keep it in the court and the ability to generate spin is just mind blowing too, because the way they're swinging at the ball, I mean, that's, that's where the top spin comes from. It's the swing plane. So it's, it's, it's really amazing, but it's, I think it's just, it's a combination of the string and the racket technology, obviously, that's allowing them to to play the way they do. Now, the flip side to that is, what does that do from an injury standpoint? <laughs> you know, because you're able to put the stresses on your body, and you're 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 having to swing kind of that hard and fast, you know, for three four hours at a time, you know, round after round after round. It seems like you see a lot more injuries now, and I can't help but think that there's you know, something to the wear and tear that you're putting on your body. And it's maybe not necessarily tennis elbow or things that are directly related, but I think it's the strain and the stress that you're put on, putting on your body 
by being able to swing so hard and fast at every single shot. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, the racket speed these players generate, it's out of this world. When Andre Rublev swings a racket, get out of his way. Like, just, I mean, I feel like if you are if you ever played in a junior clinic, probably happened at least once when you got hit by someone hitting a forehand on a crowded oh, yeah. day in line. And, yeah. like, if Andre Rublev hits you, you are guillotined. Like, the head yeah. is severed, it's over. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to be great. And it's just... I mean, it's so incredible. I agree with you. And again, if the it, it is the fact that these players can rein in the additional ten percent of power offered to them by the technological developments, that's where everything comes together and it's just extraordinary to watch. And of course, again, it's not just Babylon rackets uh that are continuing to advance. We also have a new head, I believe, radical and black speed racket models. Uh will you tell our listeners a little bit about them? Yeah, so the uh you know, kind of the evolution that Head's been making throughout their line over the years is they've used a, uh, you know, very light, uh, very strong material called graphene. So they've kind of evolved the graphene um, technology throughout the years in their racket line. Uh, this one they call it graphene 360 plus, And it basically takes the, the radical recipe that they've used over the years, which are player-focused rackets, you know, thinner beams, um, slightly smaller head sizes, for a player that swings pretty hard and fast, this was the franchise they developed for Agassi back in the day, and then kind of evolved that to over to, to some of their other tour players. I think Sloane Stevens, their face of the franchise uh, at this point. I think Andy Murray might still be playing with it. Um, they just don't put him in any of the marketing stuff anymore. But um, but no, it just takes that recipe of that that thinner beam, control oriented, uh, maybe a little bit lighter weight, but again, it's for somebody that swings pretty hard and fast. Uh, graphene 360 plus, um, it's got a material in it called spiral fiber and it just gives it a little crisper feel. This is another one where they didn't, uh, try to reinvent the wheel. They, uh, they just kind of evolved the previous, um, radical franchise again, putting these spiral fibers into the frame. And I think it just gives a little crisper hit, uh, just feels really solid. Um, it's one you got to hit a little more in the middle of the frame, not probably quite as forgiving as, as something like the pure drive, um, Head's kind of got their version of that, though, too. So, uh, But the Radical, uh, cool looking. It's always been this really bright, kind of bold, uh, orange-black cosmetic. This year, they kind of went orange-silver. So, uh, yeah, they look really cool. Um, you know, if you like the previous Radicals, you'll probably like this update as well. Um, and then the Speed Blacks are, uh, I mean, I have to say it, they're just a cosmetic, but it's basically Novak's uh, franchise, the speed franchise. Again, it's that thinner beam, control-oriented, feel-oriented, um, and they've painted it up to be all black, which is what Novak's, it's what Novak's been using on court now for about a year and a half. And it started as a little uh, marketing exercise, I think about a year and a half ago, uh, for the U.S. Open, where they had him use a limited-edition black version of the speed racket, they made those available at retail as well, just in very small numbers, and those sold through. Well, Novak didn't want to give it up. He wanted to keep playing with it, and I'd say it's been working fairly well for him. So, <laughs> head's like, well, what do we have to do to capitalize on this? Well, we need to come back out with the speed racket. So that's that's what this is, graphene 360 speed, or graphene 360 plus speed models in the black cosmetic, and you can get that in the Speed Pro, which is Novak's spec. He uses something a little different, of course, but 
Uh, and then they make the speed MP as well. But both of those very player focused, advanced, uh, thin beam, control, feel. Um, but they look really cool. It's just a really, really minimalist aesthetic. So uh, that one's just a cosmetic, but still pretty cool. And if you like playing with what Novak looks like he plays with, that's it. <laughs> it's a beautiful model. of, uh, And I, I have to say, I think the all one color look for rackets is clearly a trend we're seeing. Like, it's just uh, that is that is what's preferred right now. I think people really like the, you know, the all black or, you know, the all dark red with a shade of black on the inside or whatever it may be. I feel like that is, am I wrong here? I feel like that's what I'm seeing in non-Babylon rackets. Uh, yeah, I could ramble on in a while on this topic, but <laughs> part of it's the challenge that the brands have, I think, with uh, keeping the line fresh. Sure. So I think they're almost taking like a fashion view of racket cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Um, because you really can't, you can't come out with a new iteration of a racket every year. I mean, there's, there's, there's just no way, um, you can't have meaningful changes that would come out. So it's, I think it's a way to, to freshen the lineup, um, you know, create new marketing stories, um, and do it in a way that's, you know, that's fun, that freshens it up. But again, you're just, it's really just being sold as a, as a cosmetic update. Um, and we're really seeing that across most of the racket brands. But I think it's a way to, again, freshen up along, you know, rackets typically have a, you know, a two-year product cycle, if not a little bit longer. So how do you keep that fresh for two whole years with everybody's attention span getting shorter? Well, you inject some fashion into it. You come up with some colorways, some limited editions. Uh, the racket that Rafa's playing with, we'll talk about next time, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's a cosmetic. But he's been playing with it for the better part of a year now we're now going to be able to sell that at retail in March. So um, there's there's more of that coming out, but I think the brands aren't trying to uh, literally and figuratively, figuratively paint it as something uh, completely different. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's really just a cosmetic. It's just a way to freshen it up and keep it fun and give it give another story to tell. So mm-hmm. um, we're, we're fine with that. We like no, that. No, it looks good. Absolutely. Hey, everyone needs a cosmetic lift every once in a while. Rackets <laughs> sure. included. So, Everybody. no, there's nothing wrong with that. And look, it's not just rackets, right? Shoes as well. I believe the new Nike React Vapor NXTs are out as someone who has always worn Nike shoes. And I just feel like it's one of those things once you start wearing them, you're kind of hooked because they are a little bit different than everything else. Uh, the Viper uh, uh, Vapor NXT is likely going to be my next shoe. Why should it be everyone's next shoe? Um, well, I mean, the Vapor franchise has been around for a while for Nike. I mean, it started out as the shoe they, they built for Better back in the day. Um, obviously, he's moved on to, uh, to, to another brand now. But, um, you know, the idea with Vapor was always kind of like that low to court. Um, you know, still comfortable, but lightweight, speed, fast, uh, you know, very comfortable. And this shoe, um, it's, it's interesting because it's the 11th, 11th iteration of the Vapor uh, for tennis. And I'd say it's probably the, the beefiest version of the Vapor that I've ever seen. I mean, I've worn the shoe kind of off and on over the years. Um, personally, I wore the Nike Cage 4 uh, Rafa shoe. And it's and that's a you know six month warranty shoe. It's not because I need that. It's just it's comfortable, feels really good, uh, cushioning's really really solid. And the vapor to me always felt a little bit like there wasn't as, as much shoe there. Uh, maybe it wasn't as cushioned. Um, good, bad, or otherwise, that was the difference. Um, 
so this vapor is interesting because they've added react foam to it which is something they've used in uh, running for a little while and it's the idea with it is supposed to give a, a more of a, a responsive feel to the shoe uh, hence the name react um, and so they put that in just uh, a few little parts of the the react vapor and it's uh it's interesting, but what I would say is that the shoe definitely has a little more heft to it <laughs> than the previous versions. Um, so when you put the shoe on, I actually think it feels a lot like the Cage 4, uh, which, which kind of caught me by surprise. But um, it's got that sort of sock sleeve that you pull on, gives it a really glove-like fit. Um, it looks super technical, uh, which Nike's kind of known for, no surprise there. Um, and then when you have it on, I mean, it feels really good, but it's just got like a nice plush ride to it, which I don't think the previous vapors necessarily had. So for the, the person that knew that old vapor, they liked that low to the court feel, um, maybe a little more minimalist feel. This is not that, uh, it's just, it's just a little different, but I think it's, uh, it's a really cool evolution. Nike does have some other things coming for the next season, April, which might be a little closer to what you're used to if you're a vapor uh, a vapor player um they call it the vapor pro i can't really say much about it yet because it's not out but um <laughs> i feel like this vapor nxt is just like it takes it to another level um personally i think it feels more like the cage four a little beefier shoe but uh you know vapor pro will be coming soon and i think that might be a little closer to what people are expecting from this vapor franchise so i'm just being extremely candid here but uh um, you know, we'll see the, the jury's out on the vapor NXT because it's so new. It, mm -hmm. it just launched, uh, I think 15th of February. So, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely exciting. Looks really cool. And, uh, you know, ultimately the, the, the customer decides, so we'll, uh, we'll see what comes. I'm looking across the board right now on the website. I'm like, what am I still good enough to wear? I'm like, all right, I probably can't wear the bright reds because like, I've seen my forehand. Um, but, no, it, they are all awesome. I mean, it's Nike. It is what it is. You know always what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what you're getting with Nike. Absolutely. Well, you know, of course, with that in mind, Dave, uh, I there's just one last thing I want to do, and it's talk a little bit about some of the cool things we have in store. Uh, moving forward and you know obviously I'll keep you on here while I talk about them some of the very fun things and of course we are eternally grateful all of you listeners hear me say it day in day out on this mini break podcast for the continued support you guys at Midwest Sports give all of us uh, we're really excited to be you know spreading the love now to some of our listeners as well as we are going to be launching a picks pool moving forward for all of the action going across the tennis world now there will be more details to come how to sign up all of these things will be available on our website crackrackets.com on midwest sports i'm sure and on our various social media channels but what we're going to be doing each and every month is we're going to be offering that picks pool you can name every day a player you think is going to win either on the men's or women's tours from there at the end of the month the people with both the uh the person with the longest win streak and the person with the best record going to end up getting a midwest sports some sort of midwest sports giveaway i don't i don't think we've decided exactly 
exactly what it is yet, Dave. I'll, again, leave that to the big wigs like you, but we've got that going on. And then, of course, we're going to get you on this show at least once a month. You know, we're going to circle in that first week of every month so we can recap who won the picks pools. We're going to, you know, talk a little bit about the newest things offered at Midwest Sports as well. All things we're really excited about here at Cracked Rackets, Dave. And so, obviously, once again, thank you for all of your continued support. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to uh, glad to be on. I enjoy this. Uh, just uh, again, just any of your uh, any of your listeners. Just any time you're looking for any guidance on things, whether you're new to the game, coming back to the game, uh, a grizzled veteran, whatever uh, uh, whatever things you might be looking for. If you have any questions, definitely feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we're here seven days a week. You can talk to us on the phone. You can chat with us. Send us an email. However you choose to interact but uh yeah we're always here to kind of help guide you through the latest things and uh don't be afraid to reach out i mean we we like to think we're experts in things but we don't want to be intimidating either we want to make sure that we're uh, always open and uh available to uh to, to to take your questions no matter what level you're at so um you know definitely don't hesitate and love uh I love having these uh, these conversations, Alex. So yeah. it is always, as you say, always my pleasure. If with in that spirit, I may steal Matt for like a five minute ad read because I've got like a scrappy alto voice, but he's got that deep baritone we're looking for when it's you know <laughs> MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Like I feel like he would, he'd probably be a little bit better at it than I am. So I may steal him from you for like a quick five minute sound bite. But no, it is always our pleasure to have you, Dave. Obviously, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Likewise to you. Mm-hmm. Bye, everybody. Yep. Of course. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Midwest Sports' Dave Limke. A huge thank you to him and the entire Midwest Sports team for the support they give us here at Crack Rackets. Remember, if you have any equipment needs, you can find all of the best gear, all of the best prices, and the best help in the business by talking to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. couple of other th- quick things before we wrap today's show. A... I will be back tomorrow because there's too much good tennis going on around the world. And as you all know, I like to talk. And so we're going to talk about all of the great action, all of Friday's semi uh, quarterfinal or semifinal matches in the case of the WTA event in Australia. We'll be back to talk about whatever tennis we see unfold on Saturday as well. On Sunday, we're bringing back Crack Rackets Red Zone. We've got two matches in mind. Pepperdine hosting TCU. I think that's the 4 p.m. match. But the 3 p.m. match, my first Trojan USC USC Trojan UCLA Bruin battle. See, I'm so excited. I'm flabbergasted. was supposed to be in person there last year. Instead, we're going to be covering it on Red Zone. So we'll have both of those matches available on our YouTube channel. If you are a college tennis fan, be sure to join us for the call of those two matches. And last but not least, and I sincerely hope all of you listened to this point of the podcast because, as you know, there are many people behind the scenes who make these podcasts happen. Two of the most important. Uh, let's start with man number one, the man on top, the man who makes the wheels turn here at Cracked Rackets, the man who took a chance on me when I was just this renegade, 
unrefined, still am a renegade unrefined, but just, you know, kid who liked to talk a lot about tennis. I'm probably still that as well. But in Dalton Thieneman, our Crack Rackets CEO, who has a birthday today. And sincerely, he is the busiest man on the planet. He's got a job. He's got a wife. He's got me and Westoff, his two kids, and Jamie, his third kid as well. And yet, he still makes it all happen. I don't know if he actually ever sleeps, but I know that if I ever have a question for him, he will always respond to me in a moment's notice. And, you know, again, I hope everyone out there who's listening to this works for someone who fosters creativity, who gives you the leash, who instills trust in you, or gives you the trust and just, you know, builds a foundation of a business based on that trust between employees that we all have the same goals in mind and that we're all working as hard as we can to accomplish what we want to do. Anyways, I'm blowing a lot of smoke up his butt. But he deserves it all. The best boss I could ever ask for. And yes, he is my boss. And sincerely, I will forever remain loyal to him. So happy birthday to UDT. Before we get the birthday sound effect, happy birthday to the OG super producer, Max Fligner. No disrespect, Daniel Westoff, but I can tell you where I was. And, you know, Fligner was home from Dartmouth for the summer going into his senior year. He was taking classes at Michigan and he was like, do you have an extra room at your apartment? Because I was getting ready to graduate. And I was like, we do have an extra room. You're more than welcome to stay with me. One of my roommates has already gone to New York. And so he moved in. And it was the beginning of June, and I was like, hey, you, I have this idea. It's French Open. Can you record a podcast? Because I think I want to do this thing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And he was like, sure, I'll give it a go. Why not? Yeah, I have the technical capability. And, you know, three and a half years later, here I am. So it is also the birthday of super producer Max Flagner. And last but not least, and we shouted this out on the Great Shot podcast, also – the happy birthday of Chris Heliorse's better half, Chrissy. So, to Dalton, to Fliegner, to Chrissy, happy birthday to you all. Westoff, give me that birthday sound effect, please. <laughs> and with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.